Hey everyone and welcome to the third episode of the Tennis Section podcast. We're very excited to be here with you again. I'm always joined by my co-host Andrew. Hey guys, nice to be here again and as you all know lots of shocking results recently at Roland Garros so we're here to discuss it. Yeah, no, it's 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 been a crazy week I would say. If if I listen back to last week's podcast, I'm quite sure nothing would have been predicted by anyone. Um that it's just been a crazy week and we have so much exciting stuff to talk to you about. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, to start things off, let, let's go through, you know, some of the shocking upsets I think hap- happening over the last week um, that really have set the tone for obviously the rest of the tournament, but also now that we're going into the grass court season after this and then the US hardcourt swing, you know, a lot, of, a lot of players can really take advantage of the points that they have taken here in Roland Garros. Um, the first upset I'd like to talk about is, is you know, Holger Rune upsetting Stefanos Tsitsipas. Like, what, what are your thoughts initially on that? That was an unbelievable one, to be honest. That's, I mean, we've spoken about Holger Rune as one of our, our guys that we predict to be top five in the future. I think we said that in the last podcast, you know, but I don't mm-hmm. think even either of us, as much as we are fans of his, would have expected this. You know, he looked like he's been out there for his entire life instead of a guy making his Grand Slam, his Roland Garros debut, you know, to stun one of the best clay court players in the world and make the final from that bottom half. Oh, yeah. it's, it's I, was, I was watching the match and I imagine you were as well. I think the, the thing that really shocked me was he was just so confident behind his shots. He, he, he had nothing to lose in the match. He just came in fresh, you know, 19-year-old kid, ready to give it his all. Didn't overthink on the shots, just went for it. And, you know, Tsitsipas, you know, they, they know each other quite well because obviously they, they've trained and they've been coached at the Moroteglu Academy for, for many years now. Yes. But that you'd also think that gives Tsitsipas an advantage going into the match just because, you know, he knows how Holger plays and he knows that with his experience, he should be winning that match. But we've seen very often with Tsitsipas is when he plays against the best players in the world, let's say in Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, Zverev, um, you know, the top 10 guys, he brings out his best because he knows that anything less won't be enough. But when he plays against someone outside that top 10, you know, or outside the top 15 or 20, he, he takes his foot off the gas a bit, don't you think? No, absolutely. And that's, we've seen that happen twice or three times earlier in this tournament already. You know, he was pushed almost to the limit in his first two matches that we wouldn't have expected, you know, and, and I guess some of the pressure would have built up because they trained together. You know, I, I was reading something online that they practiced together, even at the French Open or, or right before, and Rune has been winning quite a few of the practice sets. So okay. he would have had that belief that he can do it. Obviously, Sitsipas would be the favorite, but you know, that would build the pressure i would imagine you know he's playing a younger kid that probably looks at, up to him at their academy mm. you know he's a senior player there you know and the pressure that he has to win almost you know he was touted as a favorite to get to the final before it even started you know and he did not look himself for the entire tournament in my opinion yeah it was we discussed this last week you know after after his five set match against Mazzetti how does that affect him going on? Does it motivate him to play even better or does it really put him under under pressure? And we saw against Kola, he he was really under pressure in that match. And I'm quite shocked he didn't go to five sets. He he managed to escape a fifth set in that match when he was 6-2 down in that fourth set tiebreak. But um, yeah, I think he needs to 
I think he needs to sit down with his, you know, his team, his dad and everything and just really think hard about his game at the moment. Because, yeah, he started off great in the Claycourt season, winning Monte Carlo. Uh, and then, you know, in Barcelona, he really pushed Alcaraz to the limit in that, I think it was the quarterfinals. Um, but since then, he's just been a bit a bit subpar. And I think it might be a mental thing by where he just, you know, he's, he's like, oh, I'm, well, he's going to be number five, but oh, I'm number four in the world. I should be beating these people anyways. I can just rely on my big serve and my big forehand and, and, and yeah, I can win a match. But then people realize, you know what, if I actually hit hard enough to this guy's backhand and consistently, I can break him down. Well, absolutely. I certainly think it is mental, you know, but I was hoping for his sake, you know, that last year getting to the final would have been the end of it. You know, mm. that would have really given him the belief that he deserves to be here and he can win these big events. You know, he's won quite a few of the Masters events, but never really made his mark on a slam other than last year. So I am very surprised to see those mental issues still continue. And yeah. I mean, because this, this guy doesn't have many physical and, and technical issues, right? The only major one is his backhand. And Rune was punishing it, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> anytime there was any sort of trouble on Rune's side, you know, just dominated his backhand. And that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Especially, think... especially when he plays against Nadal, for example. You know, Nadal will kill him with a lefty cross-court backhand. Forehand, yeah. sorry, to his backhand. So <laughs> he, yeah, he yeah, needs yeah. to do some major work on that. It's, it's uh, you know, the one-handed backhand is one of the toughest shots in tennis because it, you hit hard enough to it, it can be broken down but that you know that makes what Federer achieved even more incredible because he's been able to win 20 grand slams with one hand backhand you know um Agreed. but yeah shocking stuff from Tsitsipas but very excited for Holgerine he's playing today against uh Kasper Ruud so um very close to home in terms of you know geographical locations from where they're from um they are definitely going to have a tight match I think um it's it's a tough one to predict I think because Kasper Ruud obviously goes in as the favourite, you know, top 10 player, already got experience. Um, but as we said, Holger Rune has nothing to lose. So I'm interested to see who comes out on top in that one. One thing's for sure, the popcorn's going to be out. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll, the, the bottom half is completely open. So it's anyone's game at the moment. No, absolutely. And don't forget, Rude hasn't looked quite himself either this tournament. Mm. You know, he's struggled in matches that we thought he would win quite easily. You know, so if there's a big opportunity here for Hogarun to make the semis, in my opinion, and that's not something I would have imagined, I would say, <laughs> last week before the tournament started. Oh, yeah, 100%, 100%. Still speaking about youngsters, in, um, Yannick Sinner was playing well here in, uh, in Roland Garros, but unfortunately he had to retire against uh, Andre Rublev in their fourth round match. Um, he had uh, a knee injury, uh, which plagued him, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, well, you know I don't want to speak about this one. You know I'm very upset that <laughs> that, that Sinner had to walk away. You know, and did you see the match? I didn't see the Rublev yeah, match live. So you know, I, I know I, he was I, struggling earlier, but so after I, that first I watched, set, um, I watched the match from the start, and he was playing incredible tennis. Yeah, you know the serve was firing, high first serve percentage. They were going in deep, high, kicking up on Rublev, so he wasn't really getting the time that he wanted, or the the sort of you know the area. The, the sweet spot basically yeah um, and it was in the second set i think a couple games in where rublev went back in back in behind sinner on a on a on a shot 
And I think the movements from Sinner uh, really hurt his knee again. So right. like the last second movement hurt his knee and he started limping. Um, he tried to see whether he could stay in the second set and he did for a while, to be honest. He did manage to stay in for a while. He got a medical timeout and everything. Um, yeah. But he eventually got broken towards the end of the set. And then at the start of the third, his coach, I think, signaled to him that it's better to be safe than sorry. At this point, exactly. you're, you're not going right. to win this match if you're if you're injured. The worst thing that's going to happen, the, the best thing that's going to happen is, you know, you get a few games under your belt and that's it. The worst thing that's going to happen is you injure yourself long term and then you affect exactly. the rest of your season. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he had to retire, which was the, the wise choice. And I think over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, probably... better not to better not to take any risks because he's got a US Open to win in a few months. <laughs> Don't put your money on that, Andrew. All right? yeah, no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> secret, secret hope. Secret hope. Secret hope. Secret, yeah, yeah. yeah. As as we said, you know, you've got you've got Sinner as your youngster. I've got Alcaraz as my youngster. We both didn't do too well this week. Um, moving on to Alcaraz, you know, shocked that um, you know, he not shocked that he lost. He's still a young guy. He's finding himself, you know you can't put so much pressure on someone at such a young age, even if they are breaking all these records and, you know, all this stuff. Um, but I was shocked by the um, level of dominance from Zverev in that match. What do you think? No, absolutely. And I, from the time I saw Zverev just try to take charge of the match and dominate the points from the beginning, you know, instead of just staying back and, and rallying as mm. he normally does when he's playing the bigger guys, when he gets tight, you know, I knew that, there was a serious chance he could pull off the upset. And again, I'm saying upset, even though Zverev is a higher ranked player, but I don't think yeah. anyone truly believed that he could win this match. You know, we, we thought that Al we were expecting a Alcaraz, Nadal or Djokovic semi from the very start. You know, we did say a little bit of a caution for Zverev to look out for him, but I did not see this coming. And when Alcaraz kind of took over in the fourth set a bit after winning the third, I thought that was it for Zverev, but mm. he, he impressed me because he's not known for his, you know, mental fight during tough matches at all, you know, so I thought he was going to fold yet again, but impressive stuff from him. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy match. I think I, 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 I didn't even want to watch the match. I was, I was out playing tennis, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. I was, I was playing and I was in my head. I was like, Oh, you know, uh, Alcaraz is going to win this match, not even bothering. Finish playing. Yeah. And I checked the score and Zverev's up a set and a break in the seconds. So I'm like, okay, this is getting interesting. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, he was just taking control of the points. He wasn't sitting back. He wasn't just rallying. He wasn't letting the opponent dictate. He was in charge of the match. And then the third came. There was a little bit of a hiccup in one of his service games. And then Alcaraz got the set. And in the fourth set, Alcaraz... You know, he. We always say he goes for for it in the big moments. He doesn't care if he's down or up. You know, he goes for the big shots. And there were a few shots in the tiebreak which really determined that Alcaraz wasn't going to win the match. Um, and Zverev was able to, you know, keep his composure and hit a few amazing passing shots to to get control of of the the tiebreak and win and win the match overall, which was great from him. It was his first uh, top ten winner at a Grand Slam out of fourteen. And that is a shocking statistic to me. I didn't believe it the first time you told me, to be honest. I, <laughs> that, that is unbelievable that he, this is his first top 10 win. But I mean, hopefully, 
not hopefully now, you know, because I don't think either of us want him to beat Nadal here, but hopefully <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is a sign of things to come from him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a, it's a very good, uh, thing for him just because you know Alcaraz absolutely dominated him in Madrid and it's a it's a good way to get revenge in a big stage like this to show to show like okay listen I know you're the, the favorites on the betting odds everyone's talking about you you're the young kid in town but remember who was the young kid in town originally all right um yeah. it was him so he's probably trying to make a statement like listen there's, there's a lot you still have to learn um which can then help him in other top 10 matches as we said um, yeah, and my my next question was going to be, what do you think about his chances against Rafa? But before we do that, we should probably go over the match that you know everyone was looking forward to, the Nadal Djokovic. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I don't know. I had a funny feeling in in our sort of group. We were talking, you know, even you know, you know a few of our, our writers and stuff. They just kept saying Djokovic, Djokovic, Djokovic. No, no chance, Nadal, anything like that. And I just said, wait, guys, just wait. I was like, I'm screenshotting all your messages and just wait until the match is <laughs> over. And then we'll see. Everyone's been silent at since, by the way. No, I, I asked for apologies. No one's, no one's sent a message back. Because I just had no, a funny I mean, feeling that Nadal was going to take control and he was going to get revenge for last year. And, you know, he did. It was, it was great. Yeah, and I, I admit I chose Djokovic for this one. You know, it's very difficult for me to go against Nadal on any surface, you know, especially Clay in Roland Garros. But after that five setter with Felix and given all the injury history and issues he's had this year, you know, I didn't think that he had much of a chance here. Obviously you can't fully count him out on what essentially is his home court, you know, but he dominated the first set. But from the time I saw Djokovic break to win that second, you know, I, I really thought it was over, but what did Rafa do? He immediately broke back. I think it was to love in the first game of that, yeah. that third set. And no, impressive. I didn't think he had it in the tank, to tell you the truth. And, you know, I, I don't see anyone stopping him here. You know, he must be delighted that um, Sitsipas lost. Not that he, he really thought that he was in any danger of losing to him, you know, but <laughs> makes his life a lot easier for sure. Yeah, I, I think... I Claire think favorite here. Uh, oh, 100%. Yeah. I think he must have had a, a field day when he saw Alcaraz losing as well, even though, you know, it's his compatriot, you know, he he's the idol of Alcaraz and everything like that. He knows that the biggest threat to him other than Djokovic was Alcaraz. Um, so seeing Tsitsipas lose, seeing like other guys like Medvedev lose and Alcaraz lose, I'm sure pumped him up even more to to actually come in here and give it his best. The, the match was incredible from start to finish. He was up a double break in the first three sets at each time. Um, although Djokovic did win the second sets, but yeah, the, the way he also came back in the fourth set from 5-2 down to um, to take it, I think showed that both he was playing at an incredible level and that physically he is he still got it, you know? He still yeah. has it on his day. He can still beat the world number one, Novak Djokovic, who everyone has been talking about as, you know, the guy who's going to take control back again of his career after having a tough start of the tough start to the year. I think Nadal proved that he is still the king of clay. No, absolutely. And um, quick question before I forget, who do you think that Rafa is most worried about that's left in this tournament? You know, who do you think that he is eager to avoid? You know, he obviously is playing the number three player in the world in, in Zverev, so he can't take that lightly. But, you know, I think we all know that he's got Zverev's number. 
So do you I've, think he's... Go ahead, I'll, know, I'll give you my opinion after you. I, to be honest, I think it has to be Zverev. Because I think if, if we're looking at the bottom half of the draw, Kasper Ruud or Holger Rune, Holger Rune, you know, Nadal's his idol. Yeah. It's going to be his first grand... If, if, if he gets to the final, it's going to be a first Grand Slam final. Nadal's his idol. The nerves are going to be there, you know? Even if he has nothing to lose, he's going to be so nervous that he's going to miss a, a fair few shots. And but do you think do you think he'll have more nerves than Zverev, the king of nerves, has right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Zverev's yeah, beaten okay. Nadal before. Zverev's beaten Nadal before. He's once you know. on clay, but but yes. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's yeah. done that before, you know. So he knows that he can at least get something out of the match, even if it's not a win. Um, then we go Absolutely. to Casper. We go to Casper Ruud. You know, he's still. He's not been playing his best at the tournament. He's he had a good win over Hubert Hercax, but um, other than that, he, you know, he should have beaten you know Lorenzo Sonego much easier fashion than he actually did. Um, so I think when it comes to Nadal, he has, he stands no chance. Marin Cilic, you know, he's got that great experience. He's a Grand Slam winner, huge serve and forehand, but we know that you know he's he's got that scar tissue from meeting these guys in the big moments. He's lost to them so many times in the big moments, Agreed. and I think it will be in his head mentally like, you know what, how I, I couldn't do it 10 years ago when I was at my peak physically. How am I going to do it now? You know? Agreed. Um, and then Andre Rublev. Clay is a good surface for him. He's won some titles on the, on, on the, on the red dirt, but you know, as uh, it's a grand slam final, you, it's really hard to beat Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros just in its own. But Agreed. adding to that, your first Grand Slam final, it's the nerves are going to be huge. You're going up against a guy who was 110 and three in the tournament. Two people have only ever beaten him. It's it's. I think from the bottom half, it's impossible to see anyone beating him in the final. The only person who can challenge him, I think, is Zverev. Yeah, I himself. agree. And if I agree, and if it, but Zverev has to play like how he played against Alcaraz, he can't play like how he usually does. You know, he usually likes to sit back, even though he's got these big dominant ground strokes and big serve. You know, he he kind of becomes a pusher in these big matches against the big players. Yeah. You know, so if he takes the ball early, doesn't allow Nadal spin to get up above his shoulder. You know, if he serves well, you know, he should he should have little trouble holding serve if he serves very well. You know, but that's mm -hmm. always an if with him. You know, his, his serve has let him down so many times in these big matches. But if he could try to take charge of the match and dominate it, then he could cause Nadal some problems, you know. And if he gets off to a fast start, you know, if he can hold his nerve, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him win a set. But ultimately, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he can win this match. But you never know. I mean, he's capable of this tennis. He's always been capable of it. But we've seen it so few times at this level. Actually, yeah. I can't remember a time that I've actually seen it at Grand Slam level. You know, you said he's never won a top 10 match at a Grand Slam before. Mm. Um, you know, we can we see this in the smaller, smaller Masters events in Madrid, Monte Carlo, when he plays his best. You know, but I, I don't know. I think he's going to have a serious case of the nerves here. And as soon as that happens, you know, the serve goes. Yeah. Which is what I, he needs. I, I completely agree. I think having only won one top 10 match at a Grand Slam this is going to be the biggest match. Like in terms of if this, if he wins this match, this would be the biggest victory in his career, barring any title that, like including any title he's ever won. You know, this Agreed. would be the be all and end all of his career so far. Um, but I've seen, I've seen, I've seen personally Zverev beat Nadal. I saw it at the ATP Finals in 2019. I was there, but right. that's a fast indoor surface where Nadal doesn't have as much time. 
if Zverev is hitting even at 80% or, you know, 90% of what his serve can be, he wins most of the time just because of how fast the surface is. Here yes. in Paris, you know, it's it, Nadal, the, the serve can be so far. We saw some huge serves from Djokovic yesterday and just Nadal was able to return them, you know, yeah. return them deep. So I think, I think maximum a set uh, was very in that match. Agreed. Totally um, agree. But yeah. Um, yeah. Still saying on the men's side, the, the other upset that happened um, was Medvedev just being destroyed by Marin Cilic. Oh, that's another shocker. I did not see that one coming. We all know that Medvedev hates the surface. You know, he said it many times um, and he is not very comfortable at all, you know, but Marin Cilic, much older than him, you know, career winding down. Granted, he's had a pretty decent year, um, all things mm. considered, you know, but this deep in a major, you know, he's got to be tired. If his serve is clicking, you know, he can trouble anyone, but yeah, I, I did not see this one coming. This is almost as surprising as the, the Sitsipas one, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think... And, str- and the way that, that he lost too, you know, dominated in straight sets. You know, if it was five sets, then maybe you could understand it. But he, he won, what is it, seven games in the entire match? I, yeah, I think it was like 6-2, six, 6-3 six, or 6-2, something like that. Yeah, seven yeah, games six, maximum. 6-2, six, 6-3, two, six, six, two. just look there it up. There you go. Yeah, yeah. perfect. And um, yeah, I think the shocking part in that match was, as you said, the dominance from start to finish from Cilic. You know, Medvedev had played well the tournament. He'd not lost a set. He was the only person other than Djokovic to have not lost a set the entire tournament. Um, he had shown us that, okay, the doubters were wrong. He's been he's playing amazing. He he was looking like he would be the finalist because Tsitsipas was not playing well, you know? Yeah. And especially with Tsitsipas losing the match that same day, you would have thought, okay, he has a op- bigger opportunity to go deep here. He's going to go for more. But being you know his first time playing on Chatre at in at night maybe he wasn't feeling his best with his ground strokes um and yeah Chilich just took took time away from him which eventually just proved to be fruitful um you know Chilich has got the experience you can't just say oh you know would Marin's Chilich never wouldn't win these types of matches just I think it was last year that he was two sets to love up against Medvedev in Wimbledon and yeah, then Medvedev yeah. made that made that amazing comeback, obviously. But you know, don't forget he's won the junior title here as well, Chilich, yeah. years ago. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. well, a fair few years ago, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he he's got that experience. He's got the knowledge. He knows that he was nearly beating Medvedev at Wimbledon. He so he he definitely just knew he had nothing to lose and went for it in this match. Do you yeah, think overconfident? That... Do you think overconfidence had anything to do with it on Medvedev's side? I mean, especially after seeing Sitsipas go down, or not? Not really. Yeah, I mean... I've, Maybe not I've overconfidence, but do you think he, he took it a bit easier than he should have? Yeah, I think he, he wasn't probably overconfident because from the start of the match, he was under pressure. Um, yeah. So he had time to sort of say like, oh, okay, I'm not... I shouldn't be as confident as I am. He just didn't change much up in his game. He just kept playing the same rallies, backhand to backhand, trying to do cross court um, on, on either side, really. But yeah. Chilich was then waiting for the, the ball to attack even more. That would push Medvedev out. Usually yeah. get a short ball back. Chilich would put it away. That that was the, the recipe for the entire match. And Medvedev did not change that at, one, at any point in time. Um, yeah. He did try and serve and volley at times and come in a bit more. But 
we know that Medvedev's net skills aren't the best yet. Um, yeah, he really doesn't have too much variety in his game, to tell you the truth. He's normally able to dominate people um, on a faster court from the baseline, you know, but when yeah. that's not working, what can he do? Yeah, exactly. He, he, he likes to wear opponents down, but when opponents yeah. can take time away from him, that's when he struggles. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, that, that's basically the men's side of the tournament. We're, we're very excited for what's, what's to come, obviously, today. There's the, there's the bottom half quarterfinals going on, which determines the, the semifinal. On Friday, we have both semifinals, the Dazvera versus, you know, the, whoever's playing in the bottom half. And it, it, it's really exciting times. I think, I, personally, I'm a Nadal fan. Out of the out of the big three, I'm gonna always go for Nadal just because of the fighting spirit and you know. What, the what is what is the big three? Isn't it a big two? Yes. Okay. All <laughs> sorry, right. All sorry, right. fe- sorry, Federer fan. Sorry, Federer fan. Half the audience has just left. That was that was that was that was uncalled for. My apologies. <laughs> okay, you, we've already t- gone away from big four to big three. I think we can't go to big two now. All right. <laughs> no, baby. Uh, if you want to, if you want to name a big three, I mean, we can always do Nadal, Alcaraz, Sinner, if you like. That can, that can be the new. Three. <laughs> that can be the new three. Is that, is that your is that your pick for uh, uh, the top three in the world by the end of the year? I would love nothing more. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just you know, clip this uh, clip this audio piece and then send it to Andrew at the end of the year and just tell him what were you thinking, you know? Um, <laughs> or I just, might look like a genius in December. Oh, oh yeah, you might look yeah, like a genius, and then we'll, and then everyone would want to listen to our podcast because we have the best takes on tennis and everything. Um, <laughs> But before we go on to the ladies' side, would you like to give your predictions for the bottom half? Who do you see getting through today and making the semifinals? Uh, yeah, I think... And I think all these half. guys will be making their first semi here. I'm not positive on Chilich. I don't think so. Yeah, I think, I think Chilich only has ever gotten to a quarterfinal stage. Quarters, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so I think semifinal predictions, I would say Holger Rune and Andrei Rublev. Yeah, I agree on the Rublev part. Uh, I think Rune and Rune is a toss-up. You know, as much as mm. I would like to see Rune win it, you know, uh, I mean, can Rude wear him down? I mean, he hasn't looked great this entire tournament, you know, but we know he has that gear to beat Rune if he's playing well. Um, mm. But no, if, if Rune plays like how he played against Sitsipas, you know, and if he's very confident and, you know, he's not feeling the nerves yet, you know, I, I, I like that pick. Yeah, I think uh, as you said, it's it's a toss up. Casper Ruud's obviously got the experience; he's already a top ten player. He's, yeah. you know, played big matches before. Even though when you look at the big matches he has played, mostly lost than more, more lost than he's won. Um, he's definitely made most of his points by winning all of those ATP two hundred and fifty tournaments, um, which have helped him get that ranking. Obviously. Um, Holger Ruden, I, I just think he's got nothing to lose coming into this match. As as Agreed. 19 years old, nothing to lose. Not not many expectations on him, to be honest, because of Carlos Alcaraz and how good he's been. Um, yeah. Carlos has definitely taken a lot of pressure off of him, which I think he enjoys. Yeah. And he kind of slipped under the radar this year, you know, because I think a yeah. lot of people would be surprised to know that he's in the top 40 now, you know, because of, I guess, because of Alcaraz. You know, he's been the talk of the town for the entire year, but Rune has quietly won a title. You know, he's quietly been rising up the charts. Mm, exactly, so, yeah. you know, he's, oh. he's, <laughs> he's, he's going to be number 21 everyone. in the world, just minimum. Wow. Number 21 I mean, in the world on Monday, minimum. Even I mean, if, if he loses he... today. Yep. 
yeah, and if if he shockingly, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, you know, if he shockingly wins the tournament, he's going to like number thirteen in the world or something. But you know, that that's a that's a stretch. But he's going to be minimum number twenty one in the world. Yeah, and I, I still am a bit in shock of that. These are the quarterfinals, you know, that we're we're speaking about now. You know, we always had Rublev, I think. Um, we always yeah. had Rude, but the other two, you know, no way. We never would have dreamed that Chilich and Rune would be here. So, wow. Yeah, I think <laughs> it also it also shows like how much the likes of Tsitsipas really lost out this year. Yeah, he had oh, he had an amazing draw. If you played at the levels that we saw him play last year at the French Open, he he probably wouldn't have lost a set on his way to the finals here. No, but, and, and had he made it through to the finals, like, anything could have happened, you know, because if things had gone a, di- a bit differently, you know, Nadal must be feeling it a bit in the legs now, you know, and then had Alcaraz won like we were expecting, you know, Nadal would have had another tough match there to meet Tsitsipas yeah, in the final. Exactly. That's if things played out how we thought they would, you know. Yeah. So I think this was a golden opportunity missed for him, not only to reach the final, but potentially challenge for the title. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, there's, he, he's still young. He's always got next year. We know Clay's his best surface. So hopefully he will find his game again and, you know, find it at the right times because he, he, can, he can always play amazing tennis. Yeah, well, in, you never, you never know. But you never it, know because he's got... The... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on, go on. No, I was saying you never know because we've, we'll still have Rafa and Djokovic next year. You know, we've got Alcaraz with another year of experience under his belt. We'll have Sinner, those other young guys, Holgerun, you know, so instead of one or two obstacles in Tsitsipas' path like he's used to, he'll have four, five, six other challengers for the title, you know, so it's going to keep getting harder for him instead of easier because these young guys are rising fast. Very true, very true. But, you know, you, you said like he's still going to have Rafa next year. Do, do you still see Nadal being at this at such a high level next year? In, in all of his interviews, he seems to be suggesting that he doesn't even know if he's going to be ever playing Roland Garros again. Every every match he says like, oh, well, you know, I you know, I never know when it's going to be my last match on this court. I'm going to talk about my future after the tournament, blah, blah, blah. How much yeah. do you see left in him? It's hard to tell, you know, um, when he said that, I think he may have been anticipating an injury during this tournament, you know, or maybe mm. something's bothering him that we don't know about, you know, but if he was to go on to win the title here, as we we're expecting, you know, and he's, he goes two up on Djokovic, but knowing that Djokovic is still relatively fresh and, and hungry for more titles, you know, I think he'll stick around. It would be pretty shocking to see a retirement this year, in my opinion, you mm-hmm. know, but I don't know how he's feeling. I don't know how, how bad the injuries are. It must be pretty bad, you know, but I still think he's going to be around and I still think he'll be a force on clay. You know, I think he'll still kind of wind down. I don't know if it'll be as, as rapid a decline as Federer's was, you know, but uh, come Roland Garros next year, I still see him as a major contender. You know, as long as he's healthy, I think he'll play. I don't think he's going to play unless he can compete. You know, as I think you yeah. said that in the last podcast, you know, he's not the kind of guy to just play for no reason and without thinking that he has a shot at the title. Yeah. You know, so exactly. one, once we see him next year at French Open, uh, hard to bet against him. Yeah. I think one of the key points that Nadal made in his interviews, like in the last couple of days, is he has his doctor here with him uh in paris so every day they're working on his physio like everything to make sure that he is in the best shape he can be on that day going into a match and he said that in rome he didn't have his doctor there with him he didn't have that sort of system going on 
So that can also explain why his foot injury sort of picked up again in Rome against Shapovalov. Um, but he says, you know, the foot's still hurting him. Um, it's still a bit of a struggle. And he's, they're trying to find solutions on how to reduce the pain when playing. But yeah. if he's playing at that incredible level like he did against Novak and he's still in pain, you know, that's, that's incredible stuff to see. That's, that's something that I wouldn't have expected coming in coming after Rome, I wouldn't have expected this level of tennis from Nadal. Yeah, agreed. And I, I do think that had he lost that match to Djokovic and Djokovic potentially won the title and equal the record, you know, I think that might have accelerated his, you know, his retirement. You know, I still yeah. don't I still don't think it would have been this year, you know, but he knows he won't be the favorite at, at the quicker um, slams. You know, he won't be the favorite at Wimbledon. He won't be the favorite at US Open. Well, depending on who plays. Yeah. <laughs> we still don't know who's playing. Yeah, you know, but but winning this title, I think, will keep him around a lot longer, and I hope so. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully, you know, I, I'm I'm the biggest Nadal fan, uh, well, probably <laughs> in 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 tennis section, that's for sure. I've ne- I've <laughs> never met a bigger one. <laughs> uh, I've I've got all the t-shirts, I've got everything. You know, you, if you see me on court, I've got the shoes, I've got the shorts, I've got the t-shirt, I've got the hat, and I've got the zip up, got the racket as well. All right, everything. Do you, do you, is do you have the game or just the Equipment. I got the forehand. I got the forehand. Oh, yeah, I okay, got, okay. I got that. I got that loopy forehand. I've been working on that one. Um, I do use the slice a bit more on my backhand than he does. So um, he's um, he's definitely the favorite for the title now. But as we as we mentioned earlier, let's move on to the women's side of things. Um, you know, Iga Viatek has been on on a roll recently she's 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 up sorry to cut you off but she's up a set and a break as we speak so she's looking like a a sure thing for the semis at the moment yeah and she's she's going to meet what daria kazakina in the semis she's she's lost one set this week against uh against uh, i believe uh right zheng yep zheng um so do you see her as a shoe-in for the title or do you see her having any challenges I think so. It's always hard to say that, especially on the women's side, you know, but she has hardly lost a match <laughs> over the past few months. I think she's, what, 32-0 and 0, or is it 33 now? I think it's 31, uh, bound to be 32 now if she beats. Okay, I thought, I thought the last one was 32. I could be wrong. Okay. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's so many matches, you, you lose count. That's the thing. What, that's whatever it is, one, once it's more than 20, that's incredible, you know, and I, I don't see anyone here challenging her to, to tell you the truth you know the other semi is is Trevisan and Goff you know um mm. I, I don't see it you know I I think this is a, a slam dunk for her to be honest and she's won here before you know she's won here before she's dominated the WTA tour this year very hard to see her losing a match yeah I think saying she's a shoe-in like I asked the question is always hard because no one's a shoe-in in the WT tour side of things, because yeah. we always see a new winner of a slam every time, mostly. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to clay and the way she's been playing this year, it's hard not to say she is. It isn't. Um, yeah, I, I think she's more of a lock than Rafa is. Not saying that Rafa's not a lock for the title here, in my opinion, you know, but he's got Zverev to worry about, you know, number three in the world, a player who's, who's beaten him in the past, you know, but Sviantek doesn't have that, you know, yeah, no guess, former guess- grass. No Kukogos, other champions in the uh, yeah, no no Kukogos top ten players. Ones. Yeah, she's she's the next highest ranked at number eighteen. Yeah. You know, and that would never happen on the men's side. You know, so she's got a eight a teenager making her Grand Slam semis debut in Coco Golf. You know, ranked number eighteen in the world, unseeded player. 
you know, and then Kazatsina, you know, number 20, you know, so I don't know, hard to say a lot, but this is as close as it gets. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think she she's just on another level to anyone in the WTA tour. I think she has that consistency behind both her first and her second serve, and she's confident in her ground strokes when it comes down to like tight situations where most of the players in the top 10, you know, they're, they're in the top 10 for a reason, but they haven't reached that level where they are confident between every single shot at every single time, every single day. Um, Zviatek has that confidence. So she's obviously going to go for it. And the fact that she's winning so much just gives her even more confidence to go for her shots because it's been working for her. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically the woman's side. It's it's good to see Coco Goff obviously reach her maiden Grand Slam semi-final. Um, one thing that she did mention was just the fact that Last year, she had a lot of pressure going into the quarterfinals here in Paris. This year, she decided to change her mentality a bit and just say, you know what, whatever will be, will be. I'm just going to do me. Um, and it's it seems to be working for her. No, I agree. Um, and I'm very happy to see her at the stage. You know, I mean, a couple of years ago when she came out, you know, she was considered a future number one, multiple Grand Slam winner, you know, but it's, it's really nice to see her at the Grand Slam, in a Grand Slam semi, and she's had a huge opportunity to make the final here. Yeah, but that, that, that's obviously great for her and hopefully she does well, if, if not here, in other tournaments, you know, she's a, she's a great young star. Um, I've got a few fun facts, actually, Andrew. I'm not too sure many people know these yet or um, thought about these, but um, there's, there's a few. So when looking at who's made the most Grand Slam semifinals in their career um, out of the big three, Federer's made 46, Djokovic okay. has made 42, and Nadal's made 37. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would not have guessed that at all. What, what, what order would you have put it in? I would have thought that Federer would be number three on that list, you know, especially oh, really? since he just over since the, uh, the past few years, you know, he hasn't made many of them, you know. <laughs> I don't do know. You remember, do you remember that? I would have thought Djokovic he... would have been number one. Yeah, I guess you, you, the, the thing is Federer had that sort of 10 year period where he seemed to be like in every, well, not 10 year period, but like he, he seemed to make like 20 grand slam finals in a row or something. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that, that really helped him, but yeah, I, I was shocked when I saw this as well. It, it, it shows obviously Federer's longevity. The fact yeah. that he's been in these key moments so many times, it then also shows Djokovic, has also been only four behind you know he's been so close and he's definitely going to surpass Federer I think in terms of numbers uh, yeah. for how many semi-finals he's made at Grand Slam level but then the, the Nadal number really shocked me if you exclude this French Open semi-final that he's going to get into with Zverev that puts him at 36 and then out of those 36 he's won 21 slams that's crazy that's incredibly yeah. high conversion rates Agreed. Agreed. And one thing to remember too with Federer is that he had those few years before the Nadal and Djokovic truly broke out, you know, so that mm. would have helped his number, but still that, that is shocking. It's an incredible yeah. statistic to be honest. Yes. It was, it was just the find of the day. I think finding the statistic, it was, it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting, but you know, guys, let, let us know what your thoughts are on this. What, what do you think these numbers mean to each player and, how who do you see obviously ending up on top first second third 
Personally, I think Djokovic would be first in most Grand Slam semifinals made, followed by probably Federer and then Nadal. I don't think Nadal's got... I think Nadal's got two years left in him maximum. Um, yeah. And he would have to make every single Grand Slam semifinal, that he, every single semifinal of a Grand Slam that he plays in over the next two years to even get close yeah, to no. Federer's number. And that, that will be tough. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it will end up being Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal in that order. What about you, Andrew? I agree with that. I, I don't mm. see there's any way uh, other than injury, you know, I'm stopping Djokovic from, from topping that list. Yeah, exactly. He's, exactly. Just too, he's just too consistent, you know, and he's game for all surfaces and he's got health on his side, at least that we know about, you know. So I think he's going to be around much longer than the other two. And, and we all know him, right? I think he's going to stick around even if he's not 100% just to, to get that record. You know, which I which I do think he will get eventually. I'm I'm hoping not as a Nadal fan, you know, but I Nadal would have to put some serious ground between that um those two for that to happen. Yeah, exactly. and I don't I don't see how with two years left. I think it's it's a it's a great statistics, but it's not the most important thing. I think Nadal's going to bide his time to find the right time to win a Slam. He's not. He knows his body doesn't have that much left. I like in every single tournament. So he really needs to choose the, the, the right moments to go for it, you know. And do you um, think we see him at Wimbledon this year? I personally doubt it. Nadal. Yeah, I was, I was thinking we would. But then today, you know, listening to his, his interviews and stuff and how he was saying he'll discuss about his future after the French, I, I really don't know. It's, Even, it's a hard one to call. Especially without the points, you know, if that sticks then why would he, you know? Exactly. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I can see because of the points and also, but I can also see without the points, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, what are people going to remember the points or the number of slams? But does he really have a chance of winning Wimbledon? At, you know, I, I wouldn't think so. It's, it's a tough one. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Moving on to the last interesting thing before we get to, you know, your guys' questions that came in through the Instagram. Um, if you're a Medvedev and a Zverev fan, you'll enjoy this section, I think. If you're a Djokovic fan, I don't think you will. It's up to you if you keep on listening. But um, the world number one situation is going to change 100%. It's not going to be Djokovic in two weeks' time. Um, there's, there's a few scenarios here where it's all basically down to Zverev. Uh, the order you know Zverev is always involved in the number one discussions as we know <laughs> or he likes to be <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so there's a few scenarios so if um let's go from the worst scenario to the best scenario for Zverev okay yeah worst scenario he loses against Nadal in the semi-finals um and in two weeks time so on the 13th of June Medvedev is going to be world number one Zverev is going to be world number two and then if Nadal wins Roland Garros, he's going to be world number three with Djokovic, I think, fourth. Um, if Zverev does beat Nadal, but then loses in the final of the French Open, Medvedev won, Zverev two, Djokovic three. And then if Zverev ends up winning the entire thing, Zverev becomes world number one, Medvedev stays at number two and then Djokovic falls to number three. What are your thoughts, Andrew? Uh, pretty incredible to me that 
<laughs> Medvedev is always becoming number one without winning a title recently. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he always seems to get some kind of good fortune there. Um, mm. I don't know what to make of it. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to think of a world where Nadal, Djokovic are out of the top two, to be honest with you, you know, mm. but that seems very possible now. Um, I don't think that the Zverev scenario is, is very likely, you know, him winning the title. Um, so I do think the most most likely outcome is going to be Medvedev reaching number one again. Yeah. Yeah, I think based on sort of our predictions, it's going to be Medvedev one, Zverev two, and then if Nadal wins it all, he'll yeah. be number three. But and he um, likely can hold on to it for a while this time, Medvedev. Well, no, because yeah. he can't he can't play Wimbledon. But, uh, yeah. but no, Djokovic he isn't also yeah. getting any points. True, true. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe Zverev then. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't I know. Mean, we'll, we'll have to look at it. Zverev <laughs> <laughs> is definitely loving this because it oh, will help yeah. him. It will help him. Well, he'll, um, he'll be the first guy entered in Wimbledon, that's for sure. Oh, Zverev. yeah. Even, <laughs> no points in there. He'll, he'll he's probably entered just, already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's actually already booked his flight for tomorrow. Um, he's, 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 he's thinking about quitting the, uh, the semi-final before he even starts, <laughs> just, to, just to get at Wimbledon before anyone else. Yeah. But he'd um, be disappointed at the points thing, though, you know, because yeah, had yeah. the points been allowed, you know, I think without looking at the rankings, I'm pretty sure he would have passed the other guys to become world number one. Assuming yes. assuming Djokovic and Nadal are not playing and, and Medvedev is banned, you know. But, but, okay, let's say if Djokovic was playing and there were points and blah, blah, um, we don't know. Djokovic might be playing or he might not be playing. Um, yeah. Zverev had never really done well at Wimbledon. Agreed. I think he, 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 he can play well on grass, but when it come, comes to Wimbledon, he's never, like, he's always lost in the early rounds against, you know, much lower ranked players than him yeah yeah so hard to tell what's going to happen um have we heard any signs from Djokovic that he's playing or not playing or or still completely under wraps I don't know I, I don't think he has uh, the only thing I can remember him saying is he's disappointed obviously that he's losing 4,000 points this year through this sort of system um but he also is happy that the ATP is taking a sort of stand to protect the players so he sees it as a double-edged sword um whether that I mean, means he's playing or not, it's it's still up in the air. Well, you would imagine he would play, you know, um, just to get that title, mm. you know, even without the points, you know, he's he seems to be in a desperate chase <laughs> to get the Grand Slam title, you know, for the yeah, most, he's definitely, most he's definitely ever. Determined. So, yeah, I, I I do think he'll play. Yeah, I, I think, see why I think he wouldn't. Now for these guys, it's it's rather a question rather than it being a question of our, you know, points and ranking and stuff. It's a question of legacy. And the legacy exactly. is who wins the most slams. Yeah, and those guys certainly aren't chasing the money at this point. You know, at oh, least those no. big two. Yeah, yeah, it, they I don't even think they care about the prize money they win yeah. at this point. <laughs> um, you know, Nadal might be given a two million euro check. I, mean, I think he would probably give that to one of his cousins or something just for fun. Uh, <laughs> that's that's how unimportant that is to them nowadays. You know, they've made more than you know one hundred and thirty or something million each on the court. And that's not even including sponsorships. So, yeah. you know, much, much more off the court. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a crazy fact that I found. And I was, I was quite interested to, to see all the scenarios of what would happen based on always Zverev, you know, he's, he just loves getting in the mix, as I said. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically it for our discussion today, Andrew, unless you have anything else, but we, we got lots of questions in through the Instagram and we watched 
should we should we go through them? Yeah, and just before we do, can you give me your pick for each match that's left? I know you did it for the men's side, you know, but what do you what do you see happening in the women's? So Swiantek okay. is about to wrap it up. She's gonna serve at five three in a bit. Well, okay. It's five two now, but she looks like she'll lose that game. Okay. And then Goff on the other side. What do you think? What do you see happening there? Yeah, so on the women's side, I think obviously Zviatek is going to win this match, I think, against Jessica Pagula. Um, after this, she's going to beat Kazakina, in my opinion. Yep. I think quite easily, just because Kazakina is a great player on her day, but I think the more consistent you are against her, the more she gets frustrated. Yep. She's beaten Sviantek once, interestingly, but I don't know if that means too much here. Yeah, I mean, that was a different type of Sviantek, though. No, exa- exactly. Um, then... I think Coco Goff beats Martina Trevisan to get her Agreed. main slam final. Agreed. And then, and then, and then I think, tech. yeah, I think she gets it against Goff. I think Goff is still young. Uh, still young, you know, not, not that big of an age difference between the two, but, you know, young in terms of experience, you know. Well, Goff, I just stage. I just saw that she just graduated from high school, which is yeah, which is shocking. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. and we're, talking, we're talking about her being a Grand Slam finalist. Like, come on, man! And she's been at the top, top twenty, top thirty level for what two, three years now, maybe. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was it was two thousand eighteen. It's been four years now that she's been like in discussion of things. In- so, incredible. Yeah, I think it's just incredible being that talented at that young of an age. But um, but do you, do you think we we have a consensus here on the women's side? Yeah, completely agree. Um, I'm, I see a Coco Sviantek final with Sviantek winning. I think that is pretty clear, um, at least in my mind right now. Anything can happen, especially on that bottom half. But I think that's the likely outcome. Yeah, I, 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 it's. I wouldn't be shocked. I'd, I'd be quite happy to see Goff win. You know, amazing story for her. But you know, ego is just incredible, and I, I can't still predict her to win. You know, um, exactly. Until she until she loses, you can't predict against her. It's sort of that sort of situation with her. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to the questions. So, I think we answered a few of them already just through the discussion. Like how, like one of the questions was, how long do you see Nadal playing at this level? Another one was, does Zverev stand a chance against Rafa? Um, an interesting question was, if Nadal wins here in Paris, does he try and go for the calendar slam? That is interesting. Um, I don't know. I think he'll have to prioritize his health here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't because he's I don't think he's going to fool himself. You know, he's, he knows he's not going to be one of the well, he's not going to be the biggest favorite to win Wimbledon, mm-hmm. you know, especially now with his injury struggles and, and fitness and so on. Um, so I, I see him skipping Wimbledon, to be honest, but you mm-hmm. never know. I'm not inside his brain, but good point. Um, certainly something to, to consider. But I I see him trying to to come out firing for the U.S. Open. Yeah, I think as as you said, Wimbledon has never been his best tournament. The bounce is much different, much lower, fast courts. It's hard for him to really play his best in that tournament. But also, it depends on who's playing in the tournament, and you know, if everyone's giving it their best or not, depending on the point situation. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, if there was a way to tell that he would be on the opposite side of the draw to Djokovic, which there isn't, you know, they're not number one and number two anymore. I think he would play, you know, but he certainly wouldn't want to play and risk meeting Djokovic in the quarterfinals and essentially playing the tournament for what might be nothing. 
you know, because mm. there, are no, there are no points, you know, he's, he's not too concerned about the paycheck, especially a quarter finalist paycheck. You know, if, if he could be assured that he was on the opposite side and potentially meet Djokovic in a final where anything could really happen, then I think he would play. But I, I don't see him risking it. It's, it's too much at stake, right? You know, because he's got the US Open to look forward to where he would be a serious contender for the title. And then he's got next year's Australian Open and French Open. You know, yeah. so why, why risk aggravating the injury and being out for another couple of months? unnecessarily in my opinion but calendar slam is a good incentive but i see him being a little too old and a little too smart for that yeah definitely i think it does more harm than good in in the long run um moving on to Djokovic, do you think that this loss suffered against nadal is going to really light a fire in him that's going to turn him into you know the Djokovic that we know who just goes for every single thing and doesn't give up at any single time. You want to take this one or should I? I mean, I, yeah, I can take it. You I can think, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's going to really light a fire in him going into Wimbledon. I think points aside, Djokovic is going to try and make a statement, say, you know what, even if, you know, in, in paragraphs, if Nadal wins Roland Garros, it'll be at 22 Grand Slams. But even if Nadal's at 22 Grand Slams, I'm still the guy who's going to be here for three, four more years at this top level. So the slam race isn't over, you know? Um, and he could potentially equal that this year. You know, he could yeah, win exactly. Wimbledon and, and the US Open and, and equal Exactly. Very, you know? very, very much, you know, yeah. a very big potential that it could happen. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is his only motivation, you know, but out of those three, he seems to be the one that's most concerned with chasing records and being number one for the longest and, and most titles, you know. Yeah. So I, I do see this lighting a fire under him for sure. This guy hates to lose. You know, it's going to be a double burn that he's losing the number one ranking as well, you know. Yeah. So I, I think he's going to be incredibly difficult to stop for the rest of the year. Oh, 100%, 100%. I think, like you said, it's, it's just he hates losing. He is obsessed with winning. He is obsessed with those Grand Slams. He makes it clear every time any tournament, he's like, I want to win the Grand Slam race. That's it. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how he plays at Wimbledon, how he comes out. Um, moving on to another big player at the moment, Alcaraz. Do you think he has any chance of going far in Wimbledon based on you know his, his sort of big hitting game? I, I don't think so. You know, I'm, I'm in a WhatsApp group and they normally speak a lot of sensible things when it comes to tennis, you know, and I saw a couple of guys saying that he should be one of the favorites for Wimbledon, you know, but let's not forget this guy is still 19 years old. You know, he's hardly ever played matches on grass. I think he's played maybe five or six at this level ever in his career. Mm. You know, it's, it's too much to ask, you know, it was already too much to ask for him to to compete at the French Open, you know, we saw that he, he he kind of crumbled under the pressure. That's a that's a bit harsh to say, but he didn't live up to expectations um, at the French Open. I think solely because of the pressure, yeah. you know. So I, I think it's unfair to label his, him as a favorite or even an outside long shot contender for anything at Wimbledon. You know, to see him win a couple of matches would be nice, but you know, his he he's got the game for it. You know, I would say his game is better built for Wimbledon than Nadal but he doesn't have that mentality yet and that variety and that experience yet. You know, when he gets a few more years under his belt, I wouldn't be surprised to see him challenging for the title. You know, he's comfortable at the net. He's got a big serve. He's got an all around game, but I think it's too soon. But again, it depends who plays. Very true. Very true. Yeah. It's 
we, we saw Nadal be so great at such a young age. And, you know, you expect these things from these players at such a young age nowadays, but you always have to remember they are, they are literally kids, you know? Yeah. If you, if you had a, a, a brother or a sister, a son or a cousin at that age, you'd be like, oh, they're still trying to figure out everything in life. You know, that they've still, they've still got loads to do. And what we're, we're telling these guys, oh, oh, you didn't win this Grand Slam. Yeah. <laughs> You're not living up to the hype, you know? It's, it's great. It's crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, Andrew, on that one. It's especially not having played that many matches in his career on grass. It's, it's going to be difficult. Um, last question, kind of a, it's, it's a very different question that what we're used to. I think it's, it's more fiction than fact or possibility or possibility, but it's an interesting one. It opens up debate. It opens up creative sort of thinking from people. Um, I think, and it comes from, you know, the, 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 it comes from the gap that there is between the Australian Open and, and the French Open in the calendar. Should there be a fifth Grand Slam between them? That's a, t- that's a tough one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very tough one. The that's a very tough just one. Gave it away. Uh, I don't know. Where would it be? Exactly. That is the, <laughs> yeah, that is the first question that comes from it. Where would, where would it, it be? be? what surface you know mm. i mean I, I know what i know what i would say uh, <laughs> clay <laughs> you're trying to get nadal to end up with 30 slams before he retires exactly you know if he if he, if he can what, what okay why not turn like a monte carlo or a rome into a slam and call the old title like the old titles grand slams then nadal is you know so far ahead in the race uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, are I, there are there are there any serious contenders for like a venue? You know, I mean, I, was, it, I, I don't think it could be a Monte Carlo or or Rome. Well, maybe Rome, you know, but I don't know. That's not you know the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, even the French Open, Australian. They've got such a history behind them, you know. Exactly. exactly. Monte Carlo, you know, it, it doesn't quite have it. You know, I, you you, I, you I also have know. to remember, like a Grand Slam needs to have the facilities of a Grand Slam. Agreed. It needs to have the courts that can hold, you know, so many fans. Have that sort of amazing atmosphere, high quality courts. You know, through the way that they make them, the staff, everything. It needs to be incredible. So, like, I think like a like a, Mon- a Monte Carlo just doesn't have the space for that. You know, they don't have the space for a slam. Yeah, um, I mean, in my opinion, it'd have to be a country like Germany or Spain, like one of the traditional big tennis nations. Yeah. You know, like, like to put it in, I mean, Indian Wells and Miami are probably the next two biggest events in terms of money and infrastructure and, and so on popularity, you know, but to give the USA a second Grand Slam, you know, I don't like the word unfair, but, but I think it is, you know, like there, there are a lot of other big tennis nations, like those two in particular that don't have a slam, you know, um, Spain is, I think, a, a serious contender, but I don't know, I don't see that changing, you know, there's such history behind it and prestige behind the tournaments you know I, yeah. I think it'll stay as is yeah I don't, I don't ever see a fifth slam coming into question I think it's more of an just to, just to see where people would say they would expect a fifth slam to be I think it would have to be in in a, in a European country just because of the amount of you know countries that have such a rich history with tennis um yeah. Asia would have, would be interesting obviously having it in there in another continent um where you know you're trying to maybe expand the reach of tennis but then you also have to think like the grand slam is historic it is prestigious yeah. where does that history come from in asia yeah um 
But if they so, ever yeah. did consider, if they ever did consider it, I do think Asia would be a front runner, though. You know, I do oh, think yeah. they would. I, I think they would look at the angle. Let's try to have one in every continent and, and spread mm-hmm. it out instead of rewarding the big tennis nations. You know, I I, I think. Like uh, some other sports have done that, you know, they've added events in, in other countries where they don't really have events, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that's what would happen, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, exactly. It, it would have to be in another continent, perhaps just, you know, like, like, like okay. Formula One is doing, they are doing races in, in like the more races in the US and stuff because they want to expand their brand worldwide, um, yeah. which tennis might want to do, but, you know, this is complete waffle. I think. I think we're not seeing a fifth slam happening. There's the calendar's already packed to the brim with you know the Masters and the four slams that we have, and then all the other ATP 500 and 250 tournaments. It would be too much to have five slams. I think. Yeah, I think it's more likely they'd add a couple more Masters 1000s than add a slam. Yeah, you know, maybe exactly. in different locations, have have one or two in Asia. Why not? You know, other places. Yeah, completely agree. With you maybe there, maybe the Caribbean in in 30 years. <laughs> Ah, okay, okay. You just, want, you just want one close enough to you that you can uh, just go there on a weekend or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that's that's basically all the questions that we had. And it, w- it was a great discussion, obviously. I think the the craziness of the last week has really taken a toll on tennis fans. Everyone, there's so much to talk about that even this podcast, it might be, I don't know how much, 50 minutes long or something. 50 to an hour it's it's there's so much to talk about that if we wanted to talk about every single thing we'd be here all day um yeah but yeah we, we really appreciate obviously you guys listening to the podcast the, the great comments you leave uh, the messages you send and just just you know the fact that you're helping us really reach out to you guys more you know create this sense of a community here at tennis section it's, it's been great um any final thoughts on on the french open and afterwards andrew before we we say goodbye to 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 the listeners no in terms of the french open i'm just looking forward to seeing number 22 from rafa (laughs) you know and um but yeah i'm just going to echo what you said you know please keep reaching out and giving us our feedback you know we really enjoy it and especially when the french open is over you know we're going to need some unique topics that you guys might want us to discuss and you know, so we're, we're definitely looking forward to your feedback and, and your suggestions. So keep the questions coming and see you guys again in a week. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a have a great time watching, you know, Nadal win number 22. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Unless <laughs> unless, he, unless he wins and then I'm, very, I'm being extremely serious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Take care. Just wanted to say one more thing. We're going to bring out an episode on Saturday or Friday night, Saturday ahead of the final. Just a preview of that. So. Keep a lookout for that. See you guys. See you guys. Bye.